All right, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Welcome this morning to, uh, to Sunday School. Thank you for uh, coming. It's good to see you all uh, on a beautiful fall morning. So this is uh, week two of our, uh, of our starting points. That's why I'm calling it starting points. It's not a full-blown ethics class, but I want it to be foundational, uh, thinking through uh, just some starting points, some theological foundations for ethics. So good to see all of you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19, if you would. <clears throat> we'll start there as, a, as an introduction. Do a little bit of review, and then we will hit uh, some new material. I'm going to cut this and this can be hard for me, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to cut it at 9.45 sharp because I, we have a good uh, full morning this morning in worship with baptisms. And I'm going to be helping out with a lot of the baptisms. So I need to get into the sanctuary here pretty quick after Sunday school. So, so we will pick up wherever we leave off uh, next week. <clears throat> Psalm 19. And I want you to think about the second, uh, as we get to it, starting in verse 7, as you, as you hear, as we read, as you hear about how uh, the Word is described, uh, the law of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, uh, how does Psalm 19 describe these, uh, the law? Okay. So let's start in, in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and, the, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving His chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its Heat, starting in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them is their great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock, and my redeemer. Let's uh, pray. Lord, what a great passage this is. Uh, declaring uh, how you have revealed yourself in the heavens and your glory. Um, shown about even in the sunshine, the beautiful fall morning this morning. Uh, that this declares uh, your beauty, your glory, your existence. Um, your lordship even, and thank you that it also describes your word, your law, your precepts, your commands, how they are so very good and 
helpful for us. So I pray for our time this morning as we have uh, another week to think about uh, ethics. Pray that it would be helpful for your church, that it would be ethics for your church, um, not just so that we can pile up knowledge, but that we might be able to apply what we know and to be doers of the word as well as hearers. Thank you for those who are in this room. Pray your blessing on them and uh, just our time together. We ask for your favor and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week we began with an introduction and we wanted to define ethics and various vocabulary that we had in ethics. And uh, I thought that was a good discussion. Does anybody remember what our definition, our in-class definition of ethics is? How we're going to define that in this class? Some of you were taking notes, and I'm not requiring notes, but I saw that some of you were. So how, do we, how are we going to define ethics in this class? Anybody remember? Tells us what we ought to do. Okay, ethics tells us what we ought to do. So it, it, it uh, gives us a standard. Good. What else did we say? It's a standard, an ought, an imperative. Okay. Uh, so as we think about, it tells us what we ought to do. It is imperative. It is in the command sense, not in the descriptive sense. We said we made a difference between, or we talked about a difference between ethics and morality. Morality describes what is what is happening, and uh, ethics describes what ought to be happening. So ethics is the standard, ethics is imperative, ethics is ought, where morality is conformity to the standard. So if you have a standard, when we say something is moral, we're ascribing that it, it conforms to the standard. If it's immoral, then it's not aligning with the standard. Um, moral, these, these words, moral and immoral, are an appeal, in some ways, to a standard. And the standard, as we're going to say, is ethics. Okay? Ethics is the standard. Ethics is ought. And so we made this, we, we talked about this relationship of our terms. Does anybody remember the, the full definition that we used for ethics? Logan. Okay, what acts, attitudes, and personal character traits are pleasing to God or receive God's approval and which do not? Uh, notice it's more than action. Okay, it has to do with character. Ethics has to do with attitudes, motives of the heart. Our overarching... Uh, text that we were going to use is Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. But we had sort of sub, uh, like corollaries to that, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So vertical, loving God, horizontal, loving our neighbor. And then underneath that, we had two. Uh, corollary type verses, passages that we used. One is from John 14. Right? If 
you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, love the Lord your God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then we went to 1 John 5, 3. And does anybody remember what that says? Or you can look it up. Yeah, his command. This is the love that we obey him, and his commandments are not burdensome. Okay, so loving God, if you love me, you obey my commands. His commands are not burdensome. We, we, this is all review. We good? We kind of remember this from last week um, on that. So I think it's interesting. Welcome. I think it's interesting. I'm going to look there at Matthew 22. If, if you want to turn there, you can. But uh, I was just reading in some other some of the, the, the work that I'm looking at. And, you know, the, the question, the lawyer is asking him a question to test him, what is the greatest commandment? This commandment. What is the greatest commandment? And, and uh, Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. Going back to Deuteronomy, back to Deuteronomy 6, and he said, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus. He's quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus when he uh, tells this lawyer what is the greatest commandment. Uh, do you notice that, and I think this is interesting, that there, and this is not from me, I read this from someone, there is no antithesis, can I use that word? Antithesis meaning uh, disparity or opposite. You, you know, um, there is no antithesis between command and love. It, we're actually commanded to love. And sometimes we get uh, sort of hung up on that. Like, Can we be commanded to love? Well, we are right here. Uh, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love God with everything. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So no antithesis between command and love. There's not, they're not mutually exclusive um, calls on our life. Um, I think that's mostly review. Any questions um, from that? that uh, I think that's where we sort of ended. We were going to lay a foundation as far as a definition last week. Good. Okay, where I wanted to go from here then is, and I, I think we began to answer this question, why study ethics? So what is ethics? Why study ethics? Uh, and did I don't remember how far we got on that. Did we, did we get anything listed? All right, here we go. Turn in your Bibles. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Why study? Why should a Christian be particularly concerned with ethics? Why studying ethics? Ephesians chapter 5. And let's start in... Uh, let's see here. Verse 7. Ephesians 5, 7. Somebody want to read that? Let's, let's read 5, 7 through 10. Go ahead. Thank you. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Okay, thank you. Find out what pleases the Lord. As some of your versions say, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
so the question I'm asking is why, why should we be particularly interested in ethics? And what is this passage telling us? Yeah, yeah, we want to be pleasing to the Lord, right? And so, uh, and, he, and look at the language that's actually used. What is good and right and true? Try to discern what is pleasing. Walk, walk as children of light. Okay, so there's this conduct, right? We're talking about actions, uh, but we want to be pleasing to the Lord. Let's look at another, let's look at another one, um, Colossians. Uh, so turn over just a few pages to Colossians chapter 1. And somebody read verses 9 and 10. Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. Go ahead. Thank you. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, very similar sounding thoughts here. Find out what is pleasing. We heard in Ephesians here it says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Why should we be particularly interested in studying ethics? How would you, what would we say? I think the first thing is to say to live in obedience. To live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. To live at, for, at, for love for God, right? As our, our main passage, uh, Matthew 22, love Lord your God. How do I love God? How do I find out what's pleasing to Him? All right, so number one, why should we study ethics? Is to live in obedience and love for God. We're asking, what does God approve in, that, in, our, in our ethics definition? Acts, attitudes, and personal character traits that are pleasing to God. What, what, are, what does He approve of? So number one, to live in obedience and love for God. Second, uh, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So we're going to be doing, this is kind of survey this morning here of different passages. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 1. Uh, somebody read verses 1 through 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 3. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we have we gave you, I'm sorry, through the Lord Jesus. For the, yep, go ahead. Just one more verse there. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay. So again, you hear some of this similar language. Walk. Uh, how you ought. Listen to the language. How you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing and do so more and more. We should excel in these things. We should desire these things. We should want to... Do better uh, each day to improve in some ways. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Um, 
let's look at Ephesians. Well, I kind of had you, I'm having you jump around. Look at, yeah, look at Ephesians chapter 4. So we were just there, but I'll have you go back there. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 24. Um, actually, I want to start in verse 22. Ephesians 4.22. Ephesians 4.22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a phrase in here um, that's actually in the negative, but there's a phrase in here that's important. Verse 22, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life. Do you see that phrase in the ESV? I don't know what your other versions are, but manner of life. Keep keep in mind this, this phrase, manner of life. Turn to James. James chapter 3. And look at verse 13. James 3:13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Notice this next clause, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So the same phrase, manner of life, so the Greek word anastrophe is the same word here as we saw just in Ephesians. So manner of life, good conduct, same word, okay? So you're not, we're not only hearing about loving God by doing what He commands in our obedience, but now you're thinking in a manner of life, in a way of conduct, in a, in, a, in a mode of behavior that characterizes uh, our lives. Look at First Peter. So you're in James. Go back to First Peter. <clears throat> um, or forward to First Peter, I should say. First Peter chapter 1. I love the rustling of pages. <laughs> First uh, Peter chapter one and uh, verse fifteen. I start in verse fourteen, so you can pick up the full sentence. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That's that same phrase: in all your conduct, in your behavior, in your mode or manner of life. As he is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Drop to uh, verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Um, That's the same word from your futile way of life. The futile ways. The same word. Are Are you following this? So our second, our first was why study ethics to number one to live in obedience and love for God. Number two is to grow in personal holiness, to grow in our manner of life. Did you catch 
Jesus, I, I'm, when, you, when you teach and when you study, you, you catch probably things that uh, you wouldn't normally. I caught this last week as uh, Pastor Logan was preaching in John. John chapter, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going just gonna to highlight it. Oh, do you remember what Jesus said this last week when we were looking at this? Um, John chapter 8, verse uh, 28, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, I am He, that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And listen to this, And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. To be imitators of Christ in our manner of life, in our conduct. Jesus always does what's pleasing to the Father. Uh, that we might see that and imitate Christ. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Wow. Okay, so to, love, to live in obedience, love for God. Number two, to grow in personal holiness. Uh, number three, this isn't really, uh, I think you can find this principally in Scripture. I don't have any Scriptures to look up on this, but uh, let's think about 250 years ago. Was there any such thing as artificial intelligence? I don't think. Maybe. Maybe there was and they hid it from us. Um, 100 years ago, were they able to do things like in vitro fertilization? Uh, so my point, and as you think back in time, and then as you come to today, the ethical problems and the ethical issues and challenges that we have today, we didn't know 50 years ago, we didn't know 100 years ago. So today we don't know what will be 20 years from, 10 years from now, the way things are going, how fast things are going, but certainly 50 years from now. So the point is, as we study, or we should study, we should want to study so that we can Learn principles now so that when the day does come, we are equipped to think through ethical issues in the future. Does that make sense? So uh, we had a two year, a couple years ago, we, we did a study on suffering. And the time to learn what God says about suffering is not in the middle of suffering. It's before so that you can be convinced of the love of God. His kindness, His sovereign goodness toward those who believe, right? And so if we're convinced of that before we suffer, then as we're in the middle of suffering and the confusion and the fog and the, uh, the, the dilemma, uh, we're convinced before that. Same way with this in terms of ethics. If we would be convinced beforehand of what we believe so that when the day does come, uh, we will be more equipped to think through these ethical issues thoughts on that does that make sense so i don't really have a passage on that but it's a principle why should we study ethics to prepare for the future to be able to make wise decisions um even in your own life you do not know what's coming up even end of life uh, end of life decisions medical decisions things like that we don't know what's ahead of us even in our own lives uh, so we should be studying now to think through what are principles, what is pleasing to God. Uh, that, yeah, go ahead. I think like the, and this is so important because we are such a passive people. We are sheep, and so our tendency is to just walk, and we don't walk with any kind of foresight. 
But what you are asking of us is that we are, uh, in a way, uh, at least for, you know, foreshadowing yeah. what's going to happen. Not necessarily what's going to happen, but at least preparing for what might happen. Yeah. And I think as husbands, fathers, uh, pastors, um, mothers, you know, we have to be able to, you know, uh, forecast or yeah. at least be prepared for what is to come. Yeah, good. Good thought. Um, just thinking ahead. Um, being not not just letting being carried along by the current, right? But actually thinking through what is what are we doing? What uh, being proactive in some way um, in our in our understanding? Being proactively studying. Uh, good. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to be equipped uh, so that we're not surprised. It's good. Yeah. Um, the final, I have four, so one, two, three, and then the fourth one is, and I mentioned this in our introduction on uh, last week, uh, so that I think we all have good instinct, and I, I have not arrived in this area. I'm including me with all, all of us. We have good instinct on right and wrong, but... Um, we want to gain conviction about what is right and wrong and not just, well, instinctively, I think that's true. I'm not sure why I know that's true, but I think. I think. And so to be able to think through with conviction why we are going to chart this course that we're going to chart, uh, take this course of action, uh, have this attitude, um, develop this character, right? those three things, acts, attitudes, character traits. So gain conviction and um, not mere instinct. Those are the four that I uh, think are important to think about why we would, why we would spend some time um, weekly thinking about ethics. Okay, any other thoughts on that? Okay, all right. So back to our definition, what ought we to do? And I mentioned uh, this about moral, the, the language of moral and immoral. It's a, an appeal to a standard. So let's just take a step back and think about where do we even get language of good and bad, right, wrong, moral, immoral. Where does this even, where does this language that we're even able to articulate these things or, or make definitions, how, where does this come from? Think about standards and ought. Oh, you're waving. What are you waving? This. <laughs> the scripture? Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I want to get there. Um how do we arrive at right and wrong language to explain uh, our moral philosophy, our ethical philosophy? Um, and the question of this week's topic, now that we're halfway through class, is what is the basis? What is the basis for ethics? And I want to define the word basis as, and I've used this a little bit, as a starting point or as a first principle, you could say foundation, ultimate authority, okay? What is our ultimate authority 
for ethics. What is our starting point? Our first principle uh, for ethics. And, and yes, Scripture, we'll get to that. Uh, but I want to I kind of walk through, uh, how, does, how does our world think through this? All right, we have right, wrong, good, bad, moral, immoral. What's the starting point self. for self. self? Whoa, self, what else? True for you, it's true for you, it's true for me, Okay, well, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. That's relativism. Good. There is no truth. Uh, there is, right, there is no truth, which is interesting because that's a truth claim, right? <laughs> I don't believe in. I don't believe in absolute. Well, you're actually telling me a truth claim as you say that you don't believe in truth. <laughs> good. What else? Yeah, you guys are. This is good. Statistical, like you were saying last week. Yeah, statistical morality. So uh, it's right because the majority is doing it. That's how we define right. The majority is doing it. Or practical. What's kind of like? What's the best for the most number of people? Which is similar. Okay, so that, that actually is an, is a, is an actual ethical uh, philosophy called utilitarianism. Uh, probably a lot of you, a number of you have heard of this. And so the, the claim of utilitarianism is this, the greatest happiness or the greatest good for the greatest number. Are you kind of familiar with that? The greatest good for the greatest number. And my question is, well, how, still, we're using this good language the greatest good. Who, what, what are we defining as good for the greatest number? I still want to know where the good comes from. Um, uh, it's, goodness is defined, well, if the most people have the most happiness, then that, that's good. And, of course, that tramples individual, the individual. It's all about the group and not the individual. All sorts of problems with... That, but the basis, so if I ask the question, what's the basis? The basis of right and wrong is looking at the good, the greatest good for the greatest number. Um, cultural, you talked about relativism. What's true is true for you, and your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. Cultural relativism, what's the basis? Because I'm, ta- I'm still using language like truth, but it's just your truth, my truth. Who's truth? Okay. More than how they think or any sort of standard. It's what I feel at a particular moment. Yeah. And then you define from there on how because logically most of their positions can create a conflict within themselves. Right. They're self defeating. Uh, so feeling, right? Emotion, emotive, feeling, these these how do I feel? What's uh, what do I want? So, pragmatism, pragmatism uh, one of the books that I'm reading um, talks about the, the uh, autonomous self. Like, I am a law unto me, and I, I, there are no other laws. It's only whatever I think, I feel, uh, I want, and that's the basis. But we have 80 people or however many people in this room, and if we all thought that, right, Whatever I want, I'm a law unto myself. You see where this goes. And the question is, what do we do? What happens uh, when there is no objective standard for right and wrong, good and evil, 
moral and immoral. Um, what happens? How do we even get to this place of even speaking language that would say something is right or say something is wrong? Um, so, ultimate, the basis, the starting point for uh, cultural relativism or relativism in general is the self, is the autonomous self. Um, we could go on. There are all sorts of uh, philosophical uh, or ethical theories. Um, but all of them, apart from a biblical worldview, um, have uh, a subjective standard to what is true and what is right. So we need, my, my claim and my argument is this, we need an objective standard that is outside of ourselves that tells us, C.S. Lewis does this in Mere Christianity, if you've read Mere Christianity, tells there's this thing that presses down on me telling me what I ought to do uh, and doesn't care what I think. Uh, he reasons from that. He, he says, well, there's a moral law telling me what I ought to do. There, that must mean there's a moral law giver. There must be something behind the law that is directing this moral law. He, he, that's how he kind of takes it through in mere Christianity. But we need an objective standard an absolute truth that transcends culture and time and place and people. Is that, is that possible? Is there a way? Is, is there such a thing as absolute truth? Like that's true for all people, all places, all times, all cultures. doesn't matter if it's 300 B.C. or 300 A.D. or 3000 A.D. Is there an absolute truth? <laughs> and we kind of want to think through well, why why I mean I, we, again like we know like I, I know I know there's true truth um, why do I know this how do I know this can I can I argue this I think through this um, and uh, we might we might get into some some of this this is kind of why I wanted to talk about Psalm 19 as we started thinking about the moral law or God's law and what is it um, what is it uh, describing ultimately so let's do this um, again what is the basis for ethics uh, would we say scripture would we say the Bible is the basis for ethics and morality it's all our full authority okay as Christians yes we say, are you guys all good with yeah. saying Scripture is... It's the only way we know that what, the, yeah. what yeah. pleases God. Okay, yeah. because why? Why is this the only way we know that what pleases God? Because it's Jesus is the truth. Okay. Because it's God's Word. It's yeah. <laughs> it's all we have, right? So next week, we, we're actually going to get into a, a, a sort of a another aside discussion about the doctrine of the word so that we can be assured of that. But I, want to go, I don't want to go there quite yet. Okay? Uh, I, I'm just kind of playing with you a little bit. This is the right answer, but why is this the right answer? So, um, what do you know... Okay, go back to Psalm 19, just so you can see this. <clears throat> And, uh, and I, I did tell you to think through, starting in verse 7, sort of 
as we're reading through it, I kind of think through what, it, what, it, what is being said here as God is revealing. Verses 7, 8, 9, 10. Okay, how is the law described in verse 7? Okay. Perfect. How is it described? In, uh, yeah, and then in 7b is sure. How is it described in 8? Right or righteous and pure. Okay, how is it described in, well, 9 is the fear of the Lord, but uh, 9b, uh, the decrees or the rules are true. And righteous. Okay. So, let me ask this. What do you know about God as He is described? Perfect. Yeah. True. Okay, the Lord is righteous. Holy. Perfect. Perfect. Sure. Just. Good. True. Now, take that. Take everything that you just said and then Look at what it, how it's descri- how the word is described. How is it described? Same, Same way. Same what do you, what's the conclusion? <clears throat> so we have because I say, are we good with this? Are we good saying that this is our basis for ethics and morality? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Why? Okay. Who said it? Character. The character of God. Did you see that? Do you see this? The character of God, perfect, good, holy, righteous, just. Everything that this is saying about the Word of God. And so we could say, uh, be holy or be obedient or follow the commands because the Bible says so. And that would be true. But ultimately, what do we say? Because... God's character demands it. Okay? So God's character as revealed in Scripture, that's our basis of ethics and morality. Does that make sense? So I'm not trying to like trump the... I mean, I just want you to see that Scripture comes from the character of God. He is holy. So let's, let's look at this. Uh, oh, I got... Four minutes here. So, Ephesians, I should have had these uh, spelled out so we didn't have to turn to them so, so much. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's just see how this plays out here. Um, I'm, yeah, Ephesians 5 is good. It says, Ephesians 5 1, therefore be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. So when I'm, when I'm applying Scripture, when I'm, when I'm actually internalizing Scripture, I'm looking at it, I'm saying, yes, this is true. Yes, I believe this. this is the basis. This is the starting point, the foundation for my life and conduct. It's because it comes from the very character of God. It's 2 Timothy 3.16. Like all Scriptures, God breathes, right? It comes from the very mouth of God, the very inspiration of God. So be imitators of God. Uh, Luke... 6.36, you don't have to turn there, I'll turn there, you can if you want, Luke 6.36. Um, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So, 
it's the character of God that demands the conduct that's, that's revealed here. Be merciful because your Father, your Heavenly Father is merciful. 1 Peter 1.15, we read this at the beginning of class. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy in all your conduct, in all your manner of life. So, um, you're seeing the basis in God's character. Matthew 5.48 in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Now we can get into the theology, you know, we can get into some of like, well, wait, 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 I'm not perfect. What do I do with that? We can get to that. But I just, I want you to see where the basis is. Now, I asked earlier, I said, is there, is there really an absolute truth for all, all people, all places, all time, all cultures, no matter where, where you are, what you do? Is that true? Yes, yes it is. Because God is true. Right? Because it's, because it, we're at this, the, at, at God's character is perfect. God's character is holy. God's character is righteous. At all, at, at, for all times and all places. In all of human history. Starting in Genesis chapter 1. Never changing. So because you and I, and this gets into biblical anthropology, but because you and I, uh, Genesis you know, 2, uh, and beyond, you and I have been made in the image of God, created by God, in His image, Imago Dei. We, uh, God is God over all people, and we are moral agents. We are morally obligated. We are moral beings. Uh, David Wells talks about this in his book. He says that's what's been lost. We talk about feelings. We talk about what we, what we want. We're autonomous self. We've lost the fact that we are moral beings before God because of his character, because of who he is, and that we've been made in his image. And I'm going to do this as a close because I think it's wonderful. This is uh, uh, Principles of Conduct. They didn't get too creative with the uh, cover. On this, but uh, John Murray, who uh, wrote, also wrote uh, Redemption, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, but, but he says this um, Disciples must love their enemies. We, we know this, Sermon on the Mount. The reason is that they, disciples, are sons of God, and therefore they must be like God. They must be like God in attitude and behavior. This is the basic truth connected with ethical demand. In the last analysis, why must we behave one way and not another? That's our question, right? Why must we behave in one way and not another? Is it because experience has proved the one to be better than the other? That one leads to happiness and contentment and the other leads to misery and ruin? Our Lord in this passage, love your enemies, sets forth the only proper criterion. The ultimate standard, here it is, the ultimate standard of right is the character or nature of God. The basis of ethics is that God is what He is and we must be conformed to what He is in holiness, righteousness, truth, goodness, and love. Man must therefore be like God. And we will try to develop some, maybe some of that next week. I have got to stop. <laughs> I've got to get people ready to get baptized. So let me pray and, uh, and then we'll pick it up next week. Father, thank you for this morning and just the brief time that we have, but uh, 
the richness of your word and showing us your character uh, that we might be people who imitate you, who are like Christ, who want to do things that are pleasing to you and always pleasing. So help us in that way as we um, go about this day and in our days ahead, as we interact with our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ here, uh, may we be pleasing to you as we imitate Christ. Help us by your spirit. We can't do this on our own. Um, grant us um, that grace to do that by your spirit. So thank you for these who are here. We pray your blessing on this service upcoming. May you be glorified and that we would celebrate new life in baptism as we celebrate the Lord's Supper as well. And just that it would be a wonderful time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.